0: as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. And I pray that you enjoyed your worship time this morning. It is so important that we sing to God and just, just get all of that out. And it feels good. And, and I'm, i i got to tell you, man, I, I'm as nervous as a, as a rat and a cat show up here when I sing, but it just lets it get out of you. Sometimes you just got to sing to the top of your lungs and just praise God. But today I want to talk to you about God's grace. And I I, I kind of... I looked at this sermon, and I am the world's worst at naming my sermons. And this morning I called this, God is great, God is good. Y'all remember that prayer. It's probably the first prayer all of us ever learned. God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food, right? We all learned that as a small child. Taught us how to pray to God. Taught us not to be ashamed to pray to God. But this morning I've titled this, God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for His grace, and 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 I th- and what I want to do this morning in chapter 9 of Nehemiah is I want to point out some things about God that we see there. Very simple things. One is His greatness. Number two is His goodness. And it's all because of His grace. And that's the third point that I want to look at. Now, a lot of information in this chapter alone. If you go through it and the prayer that is prayed, and really it's a prayer from the people to God, giving Him thanks for what He's done and giving thanks for His grace. And uh, what I want to point out this morning is, is that I can't get through all of this in the time allowed. We'd be here until Tuesday before I could get all this information out. So what I want you to do is I'm going to give you some points that we're going to look at, and I'm going to challenge you to go home this week and look at the rest of the Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 9 and just study it for yourself and look at the notes and study for it. I've given you a lot of hints there, and your notes there, I've even given some Scripture reference to where I'm pointing to in Isaiah chapter 9. But the first thing that I want to look at, I want to make this very brief because... I want you to to go home last week. Remember what we talked about? Remember we talked about God's Word and getting into God's Word, right? We talked about getting into that and to to study it. Last week I gave you a challenge to go home and get into God's Word because Nehemiah chapter 8 was about what? The public reading of God's Scripture. And for a week they sat there and they studied God's Word. Uh, at the Feast of Booths that they were at, and I explained all that to you last Sunday. So my challenge was is that you went home and you got into it, and I told you that if there was something you didn't understand or you didn't feel like you were coming closer to God through your reading to come back and tell me why. And so far I've had not anybody tell me why. Now that's not through me. It's not like I did something right. It's just that God, if you had done that and taken that challenge, that God was speaking to you, obviously you got a little closer to Him because nobody came and complained and says, you know, God... I started reading and God just seemed to run away from me. And that never happens. When we get into God's word and we study it, when we read it, when we meditate on it, when we pray to God, it always draws us closer. It has a way of slowing us down a little bit. So I looked at that and this week I want to say this. If if you want to get into God's word and you didn't do that this week or this past week, this week's a good time because now I'm going to give you some homework. Because what I want to look at, I want to spend most of my time in verse six this morning. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time, a majority of my time. And the rest of it I want us to go home and I'm going to touch on it lightly and I want you to go home and look at it. But it's God's greatness is the first thing that I want to look at. It's God's greatness. And and as we we read, uh, I'm going to read just verses 1 through 6 and then I'm going to touch on the rest of it. So in the honor of reading of God's Word, as Ezra did last week, he had everybody in the square stand. Let's stand to our feet this morning in the reading of God's Word in honor of Him. And it says in verse 9, Uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, On the twenty-fourth day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherabiah, Bani, and Shenai, And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Heshebaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever. And may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly hosts bow down before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take this word this morning and Allow it to come alive, Father. As you, you said in Timothy that your, your word, it's living and it's active. I pray that you'll bring it alive in our hearts this morning to speak to us, Father, so that when we leave here, we're different than when we came in. And that we know something about you. We've moved a little closer to you. And Father, we can't do that unless your word comes alive. So stir that spirit that you've given to us, Father, when we became saved, when we became children of yours. Stir that in us, Father, so that we can learn from you. And give you praise, and we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. So God's greatness is what I wanted to look at first, because God's greatness—we don't give God's greatness enough credit. I don't think we pay attention enough to God's greatness. I, I say we, I'll say, well, what makes Him think that He's better than me? Nothing, because when I say we, I'm including myself in that. I don't give enough attention to God's greatness. Just every day living, God is great. You can look at nature itself, what we call nature. We look outside and we see the complex design of God's green earth and and we look at how the weather patterns take shape. We look at all of these things. I learned a long time ago, and I've said this before, I learned a long time ago, and I was in school, I can't even remember how old I was, that in the wintertime we're 2 million miles closer to the sun than we are in the summertime. And I thought that was interesting because apparently we're on the cooler side of the sun, because if we'd have been 2 million miles closer to the sun in the summertime, as hot as it is in Charleston, man, we'd all just disintegrate, wouldn't we? Could you imagine God flipping out around on us and making us 2 million miles closer to the sun in July? Man, I'm going to tell you, I don't think we'd be able to survive. But God's complex design, somehow, this is, He knows it and he, is, he has created it. And in its simplicity... It's complex. I know that, uh, that sounds like an oxymoron, but it, it, it's true. It, we, have, we have scientists and people that are trying to figure out the structure of what God has created, and a lot of them fall short, and they figure a lot of it out, but it always points back to God's glory. It never proves any other theories. It always points back to God and a holy creator. It always does. So it's the greatness of God that we stand in awe of. There's been countless number of men who have tried to disprove God's Word, try to disprove, dis, uh, disprove that God even exists only to come to know His Son Christ as their savior. Lee Strobel is one. He's the, he's the, author, of, uh, he's the author of several books, including "The Case for Christ," the most popular one of his books that he 's written. He had actually set out to disprove, uh, disprove um, the, 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 uh, the crucifixion. And in it, he ended up proving to himself that it was true and came to know Christ as his Savior. Now, I'm paraphrasing that story very short. It's an incredible story. There's been a movie on it. There's been plenty of documentaries on it. If you want to look it up, go home and Google. We all have Google. Everybody does. You've got no excuse for not using Google. Go home and look at Lee Strobel and read his story. But we, we fail to look at God's greatness. And then when God's greatness manifests itself, we stand in awe. And we should be in awe of it every day. God's greatness. God's greatness. I want to look and I want to just hone in on chapter or in verse 6 for just a moment. For just a moment is where I'm going to get most of this information. The first thing that we look at in God's greatness is that there is no other God. Look, look at the first thing that he says in verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You alone. There is no other God. That's what he says. He says, you alone are God. And In fact, I'm going to read you a couple of pieces of Scripture. I pulled them up on my phone real quick because I felt impressed to do this, so I did it real quick. In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. But it starts out to say, there is only one God. In Isaiah four six, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. He is the only God. That's what makes Him so great. Because there is no other God. Isaiah 43.11 says, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. 1 Corinthians 8.6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and from whom we exist in one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Because God created everything that He created through Jesus Christ. That's why He says that we are through Jesus Christ. There's only one God. And that's what makes Him so great. Because there is none other. There is no second place God because there is no other God. There is no third place God because there is no other God. You don't have a top ten of gods out there. How many of you watched your college football yesterday? Did your team win? Let me ask you that. Did your team win? Oh, so I got a yes there. I don't know who that was. I hope there's no Ohio State fans in here because you got disappointed yesterday. But we looked at the rankings all the time, and we'll look at the rankings in NFL, and we'll look at these things, and we'll see it. Have you ever seen a top ten list of all the gods that ever existed? I've never seen one. You know why? Because there is none. There's only one. There is no number two. There is no number three. There's nobody in the top five that are getting into a playoff system to find out who's going to play number one in the championship because there is no other God, plain and simple, because He is a great God. There is no other God. The second thing that I want to point out in verse 6 is this, is that He is the creator of all things. God is the creator of all things. The very next thing that He says, and this is in His greatness. Have you ever stopped to think of what God has created, the very pew that you're sitting in now, it has wood on it, it has some fabric on it. I, I think the, I don't know what the, the, the fabric is stuffed with then there, but everything that on that pew that you were sitting on came from God's creation. The little metal brackets at the bottom that secure it to the floor came from the ore in our earth. The wood came from the trees. The fabric came from plants and and other animals, and it could have come from anything that God has created. Everything that we have, God has created. Now, God could have molded that, or man could have molded that light bulb that gives us light and illuminates this room, but God gave us the resources for man to mold that light, gave us the knowledge of the technology to illuminate that light bulb. But all the resources came from Him. The car you drive. The food you eat. The place that you go at work. When you get to work and you turn on your computer. Everything has come from the resources of this earth. Everything that is made is made by God. God is great. There's no other God before Him and He has everything. He has made the heavens. Look what it says in verse 6. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. You have made everything, every universe that exists, everything that we can see out there that man has explored in space, everything was made and created by a holy Creator God. Everything. God's Word tells us that. No other God makes that claim. No other false God makes that claim. Only God. He's the Creator of all. The heaven and the earth with all their hosts. The earth and all that is in it. The seas and all that is in them. You see what it's written there everything and not only is he the creator of all things and we don't give enough credit we don't think enough about the things around us that are made by God that'll give you a new perspective the next time you get in a car and you drive down the road man I couldn't get to my doctor's appointment you know what I'd have to walk 25 miles into my doctor's appointment had I not had the resources that God provided me to be able to drive there we just sometimes we just overlook God's goodness God's greatness because he's great the third thing is this not only is he the only god but he's the creator of all things but he also is the giver of life where does life come from it comes from god god breathed life into man i know you say well this is pretty simple stuff here yes it is but you know we often forget it it is pretty pretty simple stuff you get your car it's pretty simple you've been driving for years you know how to get from point a to point b That was what I thought. And then two, three weeks ago in Philadelphia, I get into a fender bender. I find out that the insurance company thinks it's my fault. I didn't think so. But they had other plans. And I thought, man, I've been driving for 30-plus years. I've been driving since I was, what, 15 years old? I'm 51 now. That's a long time I've been driving. How could I make a mistake? And I did. I didn't even know I made it. They had to tell me. (laughs) They had to tell me, you made a mistake. But I made a mistake. Something so simple. How could I mess that up? And I I look at this and I know that this is some pretty simple materials, a pretty simple theme. But God is the giver of life. You say, I learned that in vacation Bible school, but did you always know it? Did you always respect it? Did you always appreciate it? And do you appreciate it now that God is the one that allowed you to get up today? God is the one that allowed you to come to church. God is the one that allowed me to go down uh, this morning and have a little Bible study with some other men. It was a great time. God is the one that allowed us to do all this. God is the one that breathes the life in us, that puts the blood work in us, that puts the heart in us, that puts the mind in us, that enables us to be able to walk to and fro, to talk to one another, to encourage one another, to feed ourselves, to clothe ourselves, to bathe ourselves. It all comes from God. He is the giver of life. And in verse 6, what does it say? It says, you give life to all of them. Man, I'm going to get excited here in a minute if somebody doesn't say amen. It says, he gives life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. He is the giver of life. When God created the animals, the first thing He did was He told Adam, I need you to name them. Adam named all the animals. You Go back and read it in Genesis. God gave him the responsibility of naming all the animals. Where do those animals come from? Where do they come from? People have been wrestling with the question for years, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? The chicken came first, of course. God says He created it. And I know it's a funny little joke, but the chicken did come first. God created the chicken. God created him male and female. So in all, all life, everything from the creepy crawly, crawlers to the biggest animal that we have, everything was created by God. Everything. He's also, not only is he a God of, of life, a giver of life, but God is a God of mercy. Now, this one really strikes me because this is where I think we lose focus of God every day on a, on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we forget that God is God. How many of you have ever struggled to put a meal on a table? And it might have been a skimpy meal, but it was a meal. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever wondered, man, what are we going to have for dinner? Listen, I remember eating ramen, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember eating ramen with Vienna sausage. Come on. That's some pretty nasty stuff, isn't it? I remember eating bologna, and it was a treat. I'm not up here to say, boy, he's trying to give us a sob story of where he came from. No, I think we've all had to skimps from time to time. All of us, we didn't know where our next tank of gas was going to come from. How did we even get my child to school today? I didn't think I had enough gas to make it to the Circle K to get gas. But yet I drove 30 miles today. We don't even think about our everyday life. I saw a video, and I'm sure you've seen it before, they circulate on the internet, when the guy wakes up, and he wakes up late, and he says, God, you you caused me to be late this morning, or I was late this morning, you could have have caused that not to happen, you could have have woken me up on time, and that was a terrible time this morning. And and when I got out on the highway, I got stuck in traffic for a few minutes, and I made it to work ten minutes late, but I was still late and 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 all of these things were happening and then i found out this happened he just had a terrible day and at the end of the day god started to point out to him he says you slept late. Do you know why you overslept? He says, no, I don't know why I overslept. And he says, because you left the oven on last night, and I wanted you to have ten extra minutes to find out that you left it on and turned it off before you leave, before you left. Do you understand why you were late getting to work this morning? Why there was a traffic jam? is because there was a drunk driver on the road up there, and he hit a tree, but at that very time before he hit that tree, you were going to be in his path, so I caused you to be late. And this thing just unfolds and unfolds, and we don't realize what God has been doing for us all all day long we just see the turmoil in front of us we don't see God's hand has a way in it we don't see those things We appreciate those things and I'm not saying that you're an unappreciative group I'm not trying to tell you that I'm just saying that our minds we get so focused on everyday life that we never stop and think about God's greatness and what gets us through just one day you know how you have a bad day Does, can anybody tell me how to have a bad day just get up and walk in this evil world, man. You're looking for a bad day. But it doesn't have to be. It can be a great day. Everything, every day is a great day when we focus on God's greatness. And listen, I'm not just preaching to you. I want a mirror in front of me so I can see myself as I'm preaching this because I need this Word too. God is a God of grace. You know God's Word says in Luke 12:7. do you know what it says about the hairs on our head? God says that the very hairs on our head are numbered. God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. Some of us have more. Some of us have a lot less. We have a lot less. I had a lot more 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I'm sure God is thinking, you know, I'm going to cause it to fall out so I can keep up with your hair better. That's why God has me going bald on both sides. I don't know. That's my excuse. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Amen? Amen. God's word says in Luke 12:7 that our very hairs on our head. Do you know what that means? Do you understand what God is saying? He says, "I know you so intimately. I know you so well that I know how many hairs are on your head." Carl, you make me jealous with your head full of hair. I love Carl's head full of hair. Man, he has got a full head of hair. Love it. Brian's got a full head of hair, and every time I see him, I'm like, "This son of a guns, they come in here again with all that nice looking hair, and it's thick and everything else. Carl can grow a beard, and I grow patches. I'll grow a couple sprigs here and there. But God says, I know how many hairs are on your chin, I know how many hairs are on your head, I know how many hairs are on your body. What that says is that God pays enough, ten- enough attention to you to know you that Intimately. You know, if you paid that much attention to another human being today, you know what they call that? Stalking. You'll get locked up. God knows you so intimately that He knows the hairs on your head. Do you not think that He knows what's best for you? God's Word also tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that He feeds the birds daily. He says, don't be anxious for what's coming along. He says, don't I even feed the birds daily? What I'm saying to you is this, through God's mercy, through God's mercy every day, God gives us things that we don't even think about. Because you ask yourself, how can God be so good to me every day when I'm not always so good to him? That's a major question. And people ask it a lot and they fail to answer it for themselves. And it's because God loves you. In short, I mean, there's a lot of other scripture we can look at, but in short, it's because God loves you, cares for you. The person who numbers the hairs on your head, if you think he doesn't care about you, something's wrong. So God does things for us every day to display his mercy on us. Every day, because he knows us that well. If he's going to take care of the birds, he's going to take care of you. So he's a God, he, there is no other God. He is the creator of, of, of all things. He is the giver of life, he's a God of mercy. Now listen to this, listen to how he sums up verse 6. And this is so fitting. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise. Now, here, here's, what, here's what Nehemiah did. Before we got to God being a, God of, uh, a giver of life, being a creator of all things, being a God of mercy, before we get there, listen to what he says in verse 5. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Let's look at it together. The Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Banai, Heshebaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah and Pethahiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Now everything that I've mentioned to you that God is, don't you think He's worthy of our praise? Don't don't you think that when, when three guys get up here and can't carry a tune in a bucket, it doesn't matter as long as we're singing to God and we're praising God? Don't you think He's worthy of that moment of getting lost in His music? I know a lot of you are thinking, and I'm up here singing. Listen, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. Boy, that's an ugly man up there singing. Sometimes that's what we think. Man, what is he doing? Man, you get you get lost sometimes. You like, that one he's singing off tune. This one's playing out of tune. We get focused on those things, and we read the words, the poetic words that are written to God in praise, in awe and wonder of who he is, and we lose sight. Because we see the world and all its imperfections. And we can't get past those imperfections and see what's written for God. We, we can't get past the imperfections of maybe my shirt has got a spot on it. Or maybe my shoes aren't shined. Or, or I'm thinking about what happened at work this week. And it doesn't have to be physical up here. And you think about, well, I'm going through this problem. And I know this person that is sick, and that sorry son of a gun for a pastor won't go see him. And, and my Sunday school teacher won't go see him. And we, we lose sight of the greatness of God. And when we focus on the greatness of God, this is what we think. Well, you know... The Sunday school teacher is pretty busy. Maybe I could be that someone that goes visit somebody in the hospital. Maybe I could be that someone that'll step up this week to teach Sunday school why so-and-so is out. Maybe I could be that someone that goes and does this for the church or this for God or this for this person who's hurting, who's suffering. Maybe I could be that person because we focus on the greatness of God and we get our focus off the imperfections of people and things and circumstances and situations that we come against because we lose our focus of who God is. We lose our focus of His greatness. Nehemiah says in verse 6, you're great, you're great. And why are you great? Because you give life. Because you've created all things. Because you're a God of mercy. Every day you sustain us, you provide for us. And you are worthy of our praise. Listen to what they did. In verses 1-4, through you can go back and look at it. In verses 1 through 4, they prayed. In verses 1 through 4, they fasted. And I remember they had come off of a feast for seven days where they were stuffing themselves and having a merry old time. When the seven days were over, they, they went into a fast. They prayed. They fasted. In, verse, in, in verses 1 through 4, in part of their worship, when we worship God, there's a very important aspect to worship that we forget. Now listen, we give, don't we? That's an act of worship when we give back. We sing praises to God. That's an act of worship. And we're giving back to God. what, we, what, what is His. We're, we're singing praises to Him. We come in and we fellowship. That's an act of worship to God. We come in and we teach each other. That's an act of worship towards God. But one of the things that we don't do is we don't have a time in our service where we confess our sin. And they did. That's an act of worship. Confessing your sin to one another, as James says is actually show a faith to that person and to God that He can forgive our sin. And you can look that Scripture up in in, in, uh, James chapter 5. Forgiveness of sin is a part of worship. It's a part of worship. They did that. They prayed, they fasted, they confessed sin. They read Scripture. It says again, they're on the fourth day after after this feast, and what are they doing? They're reading Scripture again. They're constantly... Part of worship is reading Scripture. Now listen to the, the, to the one that's really hit home with me, and then I'll wrap this up with the next two points. I'm going to wrap it up. They separated themselves. You know, it says the foreigners. They separated themselves from the world. Now listen, I know that every day you have to get up and you have to go in this world, and you have to work alongside people that wouldn't know God if they came and kissed them on the nose that wouldn't know Jesus Christ had Jesus walked in and sat down and had a conversation with them. I know and you're thinking they're so ungodly, they're so miserable in their own life and they just bring me down every day and I've got to go out into this world. Listen, I'm only being honest with you. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm just being honest with you in everyday life. We go into a wretched, wretched, evil world every day, don't we? Don't we? We do. Come on, guys. It's okay to say amen about that. We do. We go into an evil world every day. But at this point, they separated themselves. What did you do this morning? You came to church. What did you do? You separated yourself from the evilness of this world to come in here and to worship together, didn't we? Didn't we? Some of us come to worship and we bring all this garbage with us and we're mad at that person, we're mad at this person, and I don't think this should go the way it's going, and we completely lose focus of the goodness and the greatness of God. And we lose focus of that. They separated themselves. Now listen, they weren't being snobs. I I want you to understand, they weren't being snobs. Listen to this. They didn't say, you know, that Carl, that hair on his head is going to leave him to evil. That's an evil brother, and I'm going to stay away from him. They weren't separating themselves so much from the person. We're to love one another. We're to love the sinner. We're to to nurture the, the person, the new person in Christ. We're supposed to lead the sinner to Christ. We're supposed to be in their presence. But listen to what they were doing. They were separating themselves from the concept of evilness that they were around. It didn't have anything to do with the people personally. They had to get alone with God. Well, Pastor, that's pretty cold for a Christian to have to seek refuge from people. If he does that, he'll become a recluse. I'm not telling you, or not a recluse, but a, 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 you know what I'm talking about. Each, each one of you know that word. I don't. But, but we separate ourselves, and we isolate ourselves is what I'm looking for. We, we don't want to become in isolation. No, but sometimes we need to get away from the evilness. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he get alone sometime? Because he had to get away from all the wretchedness and the evilness in this world. Take an example from Jesus. That's what he did. Sometimes you just have to get away. That's why you came here this morning. To get away from that and get close to God. And I hope it's working. So they separated themselves from God. All of heaven gives him praise because it says so in verse 6. All of heaven has given him praise. The host of heaven give him praise. Everything, everything here on earth and everything in heaven should give him praise. Musicians, you can come forward. I'm going I'm to go through these last two points really quickly as they come forward. And I want to I point these out to you. And this is, this is where I want you to go home and I want you to look at these things and I want you to study them. I want you to look at God's goodness. And I gave you your notes. But let's look at God's goodness. In, in, in verses 7 through 18, you're going to see God's goodness. God formed the nation of Israel. Now listen to me close. You mean He formed the land that He gave them? No, He formed... The nation, but He formed the people that made the nation. The nation is not the land and the dirt and the trees and the hills and the rocks and the plains and the seas. That's not, that's not the nation. The nation is the people. The people are individuals. God formed the people. He, he told them how to live. He gave them rules and things to live by. But they were rules not to confine them They weren't rules that allowed them to be bored every day. They were rules to stay away from evil and to follow Him. And we all could use a little bit of that every day. If if we didn't have a littering rule, our streets would be full of disease because everybody would throw their garbage out. We'd all be sick all the time. So there's rules about how we handle our garbage. There's rules for a reason. And God gave them rules to live by. He formed the people. He said, follow me. And I'll teach you how to live, and I'll teach you how to love me. And when you do, I'm going to love you back. He loves you anyway. But I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. In verses 7 through 18, we can see how God formed the nation of Israel. You can go back and look at it. In verses 19 through 22, you can see how God led the people. He led the people of Israel in the ways of righteousness. That's what he did. In verses 19 through 22, he led the people in ways of righteousness. Let God lead you. If He led these individuals of this nation, He can lead you. If God formed the people of Israel, He can form you. He can reform your thinking. He can reform your direction in your life. Let Him do it. The third thing is this in God's goodness. He disciplined the people. I don't mean that He sat up there with a whip and says, doggone it, you're out of line. Wow. No, That's when I'm talking about disciplined, I mean is that He set parameters. You know, you have children... You set parameters, don't you? You can do this, but you can't do that. You're going to get yourself in trouble. No, you can't stay out all night long. You're 12 years old. There's a parameter, isn't there? We set parameters. That's what God did. He set parameters for His people. He disciplined them. In other words, He disciplined them to think the right way so they didn't get out of line. So when I say discipline, I don't mean chastisement. I mean direct, uh, direction. I mean uh, chastising. He's encouraging them to do the right thing by setting parameters in love. And here's the third point. That's God's goodness. Let's look at God's grace. In verses 31 through 38, you can read about God's grace. In verse 31, in your notes there, you're going to read about God's compassion. This all has to do with God's grace. You know, God's grace is full of compassion. Compassion for you and for your eternity. In verse 32 we see that God stays true to His promise. I want you to go home and read that for yourself. That He stays true. He holds true to His covenant. That word there, covenant. And some of your translations will say promise. And in verse 33, you'll see that God is very patient with us. Because we're not always good to God. But He remains patient with us. In verse 35, you're going to see that He provides for us regardless of us acting out. Regardless of, us, of our disobedience, regardless of how much we disobey Him sometime, He still provides for us each and every day. That's God's greatness, that's God's goodness, and that's God's grace. And I hope and pray, as we sing this last song, I hope and pray that you'll take this last song seriously, just as I am. In the world we live in today, In this world we live in today, and I'm going to ask Brian if he'd come forward. In this world that we live in today, we want everything to be so perfect. Well, the day I got saved, I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to be with a Christmas setting or an Easter setting. I envisioned my whole family being there and me going down and asking the Savior, can I know Christ today? Or sometimes we might think that there's going to be this spectacular band of angels that are going to sing around us. It doesn't happen that way. It happens when the heart is ready to be saved. Happens when you're ready to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It doesn't always look pretty, and it's not always perfect. But when the heart is ready, Jesus will perfectly save you and pour out His grace upon you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, and you're looking for that direction, or maybe you've faltered and you've wavered in your faith and you do know Christ, But you need a day of recommitment, recommitment. You need a a time of recommitting yourself or you need a time to know who Jesus is and you have questions. I want you to come forward and I want you to talk to Brian. And if need be, I'll come down off this stage and I'll talk with you. It doesn't matter to me, but only thing I ask is that you focus on God's goodness, His grace, and His greatness and don't leave this world without His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's sing this last song together as we stand.